welcome to Mind Money Balance, the no guilt, no shame podcast to help you get your mind and money in balance. I'm your host, Lindsay. I'm a financial therapist and coach, woman of color, and popcorn connoisseur. I am so glad you're here. Let's go. Welcome back to the Mind Money Balance podcast. I wanted to give you all an update on on things that have been happening in my world and elsewhere, you know, given everything that has been going on in the AAPI community for a very long time, but obviously has been heightened over the past few months. On Monday, March 23rd, I co-hosted a community healing space for mixed Asians to process all of the increasing anti-Asian violence in the U.S. and Canada. And my co-host and I, we anticipated like maybe 30 people would come and that felt really good to us. And we felt like we could hold space for 30 people and we're ready to move forward with that. And in the 24 hours between Sunday, March 22nd and the event on Monday, March 23rd, over 285 people registered and over 160 people showed up to that community healing event for mixed Asians live. Attendees were not just from the U.S. and Canada. There were also folks there from Brazil, Japan, Spain, the Netherlands, and South Africa. And almost all of them had something like this to say. This is the first place I've seen for people like me. Or I've never been in a space like this before. And of course, there were tears and pain and and anger, but validation was hands down the most prominent theme that came up again and again and again. And I want to say thank you if you are not a part of the mixed Asian community, but you amplified that event, you shared information about that event, whether you forwarded it in an email or you reposted it on social media, thank you. You made a difference in helping to connect people that may not have been connected and who may have otherwise felt like their existence or their experience of things was kind of being lost. And if you are a member of the mixed Asian community and you registered or you attended, thank you. Your presence there made a difference. Your voice matters. Your experience matters. And your all of your, your pain and fear and frustration are all valid. And it reminds me again and again, like for me personally, that was a huge pivotal point in my healing. Prior to that, I kind of vacillated between like being on the floor and really struggling emotionally just to get through everything. And in that community space, having seeing other people like me who were saying things that could have been my very experience, it helped to make a difference, right? Feeling isolated and feeling alone is such an awful feeling. And it just reiterates the importance of community, you know, community validation, community support, finding a space where you are seen and heard really, really matters. And I'm so, so excited to be bringing back my group coaching program, Grow a Profitable Practice from the Inside Out. It is for therapists in private practice who are ready to feel comfortable, confident, and in charge of their practice's finances without sliding their scale, slowly raising their fee over time, or cringing at their price. And 
to me, yes, of course, the tips and tricks and, and spreadsheets and trainings that I do are important, but the community is really what elevates this and what makes it so that you as a private practice provider can be seen and heard and validated. And I'm not ready just yet to welcome people into it, but I am starting a wait list. So if you are interested in joining Grow a Profitable Practice from the inside out at all, I strongly, strongly recommend getting your name on that wait list because there's going to be some extra special goodies for my quick action takers. <laughs> so if you're thinking about what the world you know, your world rather as a private practice owner might be like if you didn't have to sweat it when you took time off, if you could say yes to align clients with ease and and really avoid that sense of taking on people who aren't a good fit and, and feeling unfulfilled. And if you had others to talk money with others in your field, who've been fed the same BS about therapists and money, I urge you to, to at least check it out. See if it sounds like something that feels like it might be a fit for you. And if it's not, you can always say, no, nope, Linz, that's not for me. No big deal. But it might be for you. And it also might be for other therapists in your world. So head to mindmoneybalance.com slash profitable practice to check out all the information about when we meet, how much it costs, who it's for, who it's not for. And of course, adding your name to that wait list will mean you get some extra special goodies if you do think that it is for you and you would like to join. So thanks for staying with me through that preamble. I am thrilled to introduce y'all to Stevon Lewis. He is a licensed marriage and family therapist and practices in South Bay. Oh, you know, on today's Michigan day as I'm recording this, it's like 55 and rainy. So I'm really envious of my California friends. And like many therapists, Stevon began his therapy career in a community mental health agency, working with families of adolescents involved with the juvenile justice system. His approach to therapy is simple and based on two core beliefs. One, we can't change others, but we can change ourselves. And two, our past shapes us, but it doesn't define us. So make sure to listen to this entire fun interview as we cover things like financial literacy, how he is messing up the status quo in the therapy world when it comes to money and private practice, how he's opting out of things that don't serve him, and how when he sees successful therapists, he sees them as inspiration. He doesn't see them as competition or... I was going to say adversaries, adversaries. I don't know what that word is right now. I can't find it, but you know what I mean. But tune in, check it out. It's a great interview and I'm so excited to have him on. Hey, Stevon, welcome to the Mind Money Balance podcast. Thanks for having me on. I'm happy to be here. This is going to be fun. It is going to be fun. So let's dig right into the fun. Share with everyone your money story. Yeah, so I don't come from money. I know you're like from Bloomfield Hills. Uh, <laughs> uh, myself, I, I grew up in uh, South Central Los Angeles. And also I live kind of in Inglewood, which is, you know, I guess, getting to a place of where, you know, it's more middle class and affluent. But yeah, I, I come from parents that were blue collar workers, uh, didn't go to college. So kind of, you know, I'm the youngest of, of three. I have two older sisters. And I'm the first to graduate from college. So, I mean, they have now since done that, uh, but I was the first. And so, you know, I didn't have like a really good foundation as it relates to understanding the tenets of, of money. So, you know, getting into a field that's not based on money, 
as a therapist, you know, we are to help people. We aren't really taught the business of doing therapy. I had struggles early on kind of just in my personal life and, you know, kind of professionally. And, and hopefully I think I've worked through some of those things where I feel more confident now about where I am. Awesome. So, okay. So you came from a working class background. You were one of the first in your family, in your nuclear family to get through college and then chose a field that has a lot of messaging around not being in it for money. How have you navigated through those different stages of your life to where you are today? And maybe a better question to ask you first is, What's your relationship with money like right now at this snapshot in time? Oh, right now, I think yeah. I have a, a good control over money. I understand what type of investor I am. I understand how to use money and that it's important to charge what I think is a fair rate and also represents my worth of what the, in terms of the value of what I'm providing as a service. That takes work to get to. I've had to shift my mindset around that. Because when you're starting out as a therapist or you're in school, again, the messaging is that you're you're a helping professional, so you're here to help. Nowhere in there does it say you're also, you know, you need to make money, which we know we need to make money. But the, the, the idea for people and I think for ourselves is that we shouldn't be out charging an amount to make ourselves rich. And I don't think I'm trying to make myself rich. I'm trying to, you know, be able to take a vacation. Uh, <laughs> and I think I'm deserving of that. So now I think I have a good a good mastery over money and am comfortable in, in knowing my worth. And I think that's where it really, really starts. So like I guess to the first part of your question about where it was is I started out kind of in this field in community mental health like most people. And so when you get into private practice, you don't know where to start in terms of pricing or you know how to even run your practice. And so that was a learning curve. I think my first client was like a hundred dollars and you know, if you think about taxes, I live in a high tax state, California, percentage of that's gone. And then if you think about expenses, so like maybe I was making like, you know, 25 bucks an hour. Mm. And, you know, I, I think, you know, with a master's degree, student loans and such, that that's not really uh, an appropriate rate <laughs> to, to be charging that's sustainable long term. So I've, I've increased my fees over time. But yeah, I think, you know, you got to get to a level of confidence to be able to say like, hey, this is fair and I'm not going to be negatively impacted by people's opinions of what I do. Yeah. So how did you get there though? Moving from I'm charging hundred dollars an hour. Wow. That isn't sustainable to here's my fee. I'm comfortable and confident in what I charge based on my skills and expertise. And you also mentioned like, I'm pretty comfortable managing just like cash flow, And I have an idea of where my money's going for retirement with investing what kind of things did you do to get from Stevan's first 1.0 in uh, private practice to where you are now? Were there certain books or tools or courses? Like, what helped you on the way? Yeah, all of that. Uh, okay. I, did a bunch of, <laughs> I did a bunch of stuff on personal finance. Like, I had screwed up my own finances personally. Credit score was uh, trash. And so I read a bunch of books. I read some stuff from Susie Orman. Mm. If you look at, like, the bookmarks on my you know, browser, it was all kind of personal finance blogs. So just so that I could learn and understand the tenets of money and how money works. But it, as it relates to business, I think what I do in, in, I don't know if this is unique to me, but like when I look at someone else doing something, I'm like, oh, why can't I do that? 
So like I would, you know, go on psychology today every now and again and see what people are charging for the people that listed their fees. And I'd be like, oh, okay. So I'm not there. What do I need to do to get there? And so, you know, like kind of the way I think about it is that I have nothing to lose and my practice is already kind of at a place where I'm okay with it. So if I raise my fee or ask for more money, then if people say no, then at least I know where, you know, kind of I'm valued at. And also there's no loss to me, right? Like I have nothing mm-hmm. to lose in that sense if they say no, because I'm already doing okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm surviving at the place that I'm at. But if I do raise my fees, then if people are okay with it, then I can do less work and be kind of more impactful and maybe do some other things that can allow me to not do direct one-to-one services, but also help more people. And so I think of it in that way. And so every time I raise my fees, I raise them and am okay with if somebody says, no, that's too much. That's fine. You know, Sivan Lewis isn't the therapist for everybody. Uh, and that might be due to my style of therapy. It might be to the, the clients that I see, or it might be due to my pricing. And that's fair. But also, that doesn't mean that I need to change my business model to adopt or, or, or mirror kind of what you think my business model should be. Mm. You shared so much wisdom in that response. So, one part was just what you had done around your knowledge of personal finance, of consuming books and blogs that helped you to get an understanding of what the heck a FICO score is and how backwards it is that when you use credit, your credit score actually goes up, right? It's so counterintuitive as we start kind of getting into the weeds. And then the other thing I heard was this ability to see other folks' prices in your area and use them as aspirational instead of, oh, I could never charge that much. Do you think your your specialty as a person who focuses on imposter syndrome helped you to see somebody else's price as aspirational instead of something that you couldn't achieve? Absolutely. I'm the type of person of where I look at myself and I think I can do most things. Like I've, I tell people <laughs> I've, I've drank my own Kool-Aid already, right? So <laughs> I am not at a loss for my own self-confidence. I don't think I'm a narcissist, but also I, I do think that I have skill set and abilities that I can go out and accomplish great things. So when I'm in a room with people that are doing amazing shit, like I don't get intimidated by that. I get motivated. I'm like, oh, I need to level up. Like, I can level up. This is, I didn't know that this other level existed. Now that I'm aware of that, I'm shooting for trying to get there. And so, you know, I'm like, okay, what do I need to do to be able to to get to that place? Because it sounds like, or it looks like a place where I might want to be. Mm -hmm. Natural progression of my own practice or or my own business. Let me go ahead and and do the work to kind of get to that level. So I think that like, for me, I, I get motivated behind seeing people doing things that I would I would label or define as as better or, or more advanced than where I'm at currently. Mm-hmm. And it motivates me to want to kind of, you know, strive to get to that level as well. Wow. So that's also something I think is not downplayed in the therapy field, but it's certainly not discussed this importance of not just getting continuing education credits for the sake of keeping your license valid, but also pushing yourself and challenging yourself to reach additional goals in your private practice, including financial goals. Did you ever have colleagues that pushed back against you when you were striving for the next big thing? Yes and no. So yes, indirectly, uh, but directly no. So I think I surround myself with people who are super supportive of Steve Von Lewis mm-hmm. and that they encourage me to try to get to those levels. But I think you recognize kind of being in the field as well, 
that oftentimes on you know some social media groups you'll hear people be chastised if, if they're charging a fee that you know other people's aren't that yes. other people aren't in and feel as though it's I don't know uh, too much or it's excessive and they're like well I've charged 85 and the fact that you charge 225 is ridiculous and so they get mad about that. And, and for me, I've, I've never looked at it like that. So I don't really engage in those communities uh, as mm-hmm. much. And I kind of, you know, hold, I guess, somewhat close to the vest, uh, kind of what I do. But I mean, I'm not ashamed or anything like right. that. It's just I, I'm not interested in getting in a conversation about what you think Sivan Lewis should be charging or doing with his business. You do that mm-hmm. with your business, by all means. I'm not telling you how to run yours. For mm-hmm. me, I run mine the way that's appropriate for me. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, in terms of getting pushed back, it, I think it comes from the community of therapists. And, and a lot of that's driven by, you know, therapists who have practices that are heavily dependent on insurance. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. insurance companies don't pay us what our rate is. And it's less than that. And why I don't take insurance, that's one of the reasons. Because I don't want to be kind of bound by that stuff. I want to be able to have the flexibility to work at a, in, in a way with my clients that mm-hmm. isn't you know, controlled by number of sessions or, you know, I'm not, I'm going to be reimbursed and have to do extra or more work, that sort of thing. And so, yeah, you will get good feedback that suggests that you're doing something wrong, but I mean, lean into who you are and, you know, the way you set your practice up is appropriate for you. And it may not be for everybody, uh, other clinicians and clients included, and that's okay. I'm not going to be the therapist to everybody. Uh, I'm not trying to have 1 million clients. So it's okay if I don't reach that number. If I stay, you know, at 25 clients or 15 sessions a week, which is my kind of goal, I'm I'm okay there. I'm absolutely Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to to push up against that this idea of a a full caseload or seeing enough clients, right? In agency work, like you were talking about with community mental health. I know horror stories of people who had hundreds of clients on their caseload, right? And I'm like, there's no possible way you are doing quality work with hundreds of people on your caseload. So when we are trained in that environment of seeing upwards of 40 clients, I would say pretty commonly, to going into private practice where you can have a sustainable caseload, It's a shift for your mind to kind of get your head around it. But what I like about what you're saying is, look, this is my specialty. This is my expertise. I am not for everyone, nor do I try to be for everyone. And I'm happy to to charge accordingly. And again, if you're not a good fit, that's fine. There are plenty of other folks out there. And you're so right about, I also have not gotten from other colleagues, like, how dare you charge that much? But it is more of that roundabout way of, well, the way I do things, or, you know, we didn't go into therapy to make money. Those kinds of like subtle digs that therapists are really good at doing, right? We're not going to say to somebody something blatantly offensive, but we'll do like one of those veiled, like, did they just say that? Kind of a thing. Yeah, it was, it yeah. was a, you know, underhanded dig. It's like, oh, you know, we didn't go into this field to make money. And it's like, well, I didn't go into this field to be broke either. Right. Or to struggle. Right. Like, that's not, that's also why I didn't go into this field. So, you know, help me kind of, I guess, make sense of how, how I don't end up in one one arena. Then, you know, I, I'm, I feel like I am helping people mm-hmm. and I'm making a living that I'm okay with doing so. Mm-hmm. Why can't that be okay and acceptable? For, for people, but I think we're conditioned to think that as helping professionals, because we are, you know, people are coming to us in kind of not the best place often and, you know, in a place of crisis and need, 
it's our duty to, to, to support help, which I think is true. And also I can charge a fair, fair wage or what I think is a fair wage for that. You know, nobody frowns or scoffs at lawyers when they do, you know, they charge 500 an hour or 650 or whatever it is, you pay it, right? Like, right. you know, it doesn't matter that you are also in a place, that individual is in a place of need and is afraid for whatever reason or, or needing support and expertise that a, an attorney has. We pay the price and we don't make any any kind of frowns or, or, or negative comments about it. But when a therapist does the same thing, now all of a sudden they are kind of out of, out of pocket or are doing things that are untraditional. And I guess I'm saying that like we need to, as a as a field or as a, a community of therapists, we need to kind of change the narrative around that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, recognizing our own worth, the way that insurance companies treat us as medical professionals is different from how they treat other medical professionals. So that we are on the lower end of being reimbursed for our services. And I, I don't think that's fair. And so I do not engage in that environment. Mm-hmm. I like how you acknowledge where our field is kind of coming from and, and that just because that's the way it is doesn't mean that it's okay, right? And I think right. especially over these past few years, finally, it seems like people are starting to wake up and realize like, oh, systemic racism is real, huh? And I think our field too is having an awakening of so much of it being rooted in in old psychotherapy babble that might not be 100% culturally competent or appropriate. And I love that you're saying, look, that is a system I don't want to engage with, the, the insurance system, so I'm opting out. And I think for so many folks that I work with, either my therapist clients or my client clients, like this idea that we have to have insurance or take insurance is starting to get outdated. And I think people are finally starting to understand that this idea that was supposedly passed with the Affordable Care Act, this idea that Mm -hmm. mental health parity exists, that mental health services should be reimbursed in the same way that physical health services are. It's just not true. Sure, we get reimbursed, but like you're saying, we're not getting reimbursed in the way that we are charging for our services. They decide how much they want to pay us. So yeah, I I like that you're saying, look, that's the system that's not going to work for me. So I'm opting out and I'm operating my practice in a way that does work for me. How do you think that having that boundary of saying, look, I'm not going to take insurance has allowed you to create a practice that better works for you? Well, I think for me, not taking insurance, I mean, and I think to give some context around, around insurance and how the difference in what the reimbursement is, is that if I charge, you know, 225 and the insurance company pays me is willing to pay me $110, that's like, you know, half off. And mm-hmm. I don't know where people would say that the responsibility of the person, you know, kind of providing the service is to take half of what is, is you know, they, they charge. I love analogies. So if you think about it, that you go to, to Whole Foods or Trader Joe's, you pay for all of your groceries, but Trader Joe's only gives you half of them, you'd be pissed. Right. right? <laughs> and I don't know that you're going to blame the cashier for that. Right. right. Like that's a Trader Joe's right. policy. So don't blame the mm-hmm. clinician for mm-hmm. the fact that they don't want to engage in that sort of system. Mm. Like, hey, I am here. Here's what it is. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so for me, like not engaging in, in that has been freeing for me so that mm-hmm. I can work the number of hours that are sustainable for me to continue to provide a, a good service at a mm-hmm. high quality and that I can kind of, you know, come on podcasts. I can do some other things, uh, creating a digital course to kind of help more people that I, if, if I were bogged down with seeing 40 clients a week just mm-hmm. to keep the lights on, 
I don't know that I have the, the creativity or the bandwidth to be able to do some of these other things that will lead to helping more people. So I've designed my, my practice in a way that allows me and affords me the opportunity to be able to do some of these other things so that in the, the long run, in the end, I'll be able to help way more people outside of just the direct service one-to-one with Steve-On. Like I can help a certain number of people that way, but think about how many people I could help if I have a digital course or if I can write mm-hmm. a book or if I can you know, have a podcast and get out to more people uh, or be more active kind of on social media then I think those are the things that we need to kind of be aware of and, and think about when, you know, I'm kind of running my business. Mm, yeah, I, I think it's really important to acknowledge that when we try to kind of shrink ourselves into this box of the way that things used to be done, that's exactly what we do is we shrink ourselves versus saying, look, my version of full is seeing 15 clients and being fully present with them. And that gives me the space to create an online course that might be at a lower price point individually. So people can see, you know, see some of the benefits of some of the psychoeducation that I provide. To me, it all dovetails together really well to provide low cost and no cost resources and provide high touch one-on-one psychotherapy. They aren't opposing forces. Um, What I'm hearing you say is like, look, this is a really intentional choice for me to set up my practice in this way so that I have space to serve more people without burning myself out. Did you ever hit that point in your business where you realize like, oh, I I'm getting that point of being burnt out or I do need to increase my prices or roll back the number of clients I see. Yes. Yes. Okay. So my, <laughs> I'm smiling because I'm like, yes, that's exactly what happens. And so when I think about kind of when I raise my fees, when I'm getting to that place. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think about it in a way of where when I raise my fee, I know that there's going to be some people who cannot pay that or don't want to. Mm-hmm. And so that's fine. Absolutely. I don't take any offense to that. But also it gives me an opportunity to then kind of, you know, provide them with referrals to other people in my network that might be wanting to build up their practices. And and so they can still get some really good help. And I'm also helping a colleague kind of, you know, enhance their business and and get, you know, full as well. So I look at it in that way. But yeah, when I feel like I'm getting burned out, I kind of either raise my fees or or kind of, you know, stop taking on new clients, uh, kind of where I am at this point, right, (laughs) on today. And that's fine. But I, I think, like like I said, is that it's the the part of where I do provide some services to people at a at a lower rate than what you know my my standard rate is, or I do have you know kind of some pretty close to pro bono free stuff I do. That's reserved for people who cannot afford me, right? Like not mm-hmm. people who don't want to pay my rate, but people yeah. who cannot afford me. And so I, I think of stuff in a, in a way of where it's not personally about Stevon Lewis. Uh, you know, people can take it that way. My fee, I don't know that people go into Gucci or, you know, go into Chanel or want to, you know, buy Jordans and they're looking for those to be half off or or free. Mm-hmm. You can want that. That doesn't mean that that's what Gucci or Chanel or, or Jordan is going to do. And so I absolutely understand that. And if I'm out of your, your price range, I'm trying to, you know, create opportunities for other people to, you know, be connected to me, but it won't be in a direct one-to-one service. Mm, yeah, good point. So as we get close to kind of wrapping up, do you have any tools or books that you think would be helpful for somebody who's maybe on this journey of trying to to get to a point where you are? And, and when I say that, I mean somebody who's comfortable and confident and charging their fees, feels comfortable with their fee structure, has an idea of what's happening with their money and feels really on top of it. Any resources you'd recommend? 
Sure. I, I'd say the first thing we can do is are, are things like this, right? Like we don't like to talk about money. So right. changing, <laughs> you know, how you operate with your fascination with wanting to talk about uh, this as mm-hmm. a topic. People get embarrassed about it. And for me, I'm like, how do I get better if I don't know kind of what's happening? How do right. I know that I can level up if I don't know what people are charging or that people are charging more than I am? If I tell myself everyone's charging the same as me and that's not really the case and I'm actually on the lower end, then I'm doing a disservice to myself and to the profession, right? That I am dragging it in a direction that the, the profession is trying to move away from. So it's kind of holding some accountability there. So I think one, have more conversations around money mm-hmm. with uh, your you know therapist friends or other people that are well-versed in the money. So if you see someone that has a business set up in a way that you would like to, even if you're telling yourself you can't, have a conversation with them, ask them about their business, uh, and hopefully they'll be open to kind of talking about that. Other things that you can do are kind of, you know, changing your narrative around what you can and can't do. So, you know, it, we put these kind of arbitrary limitations on what's appropriate. And I'm saying, you know, test something out. Like if, if you're like, yeah, I would love to raise my fees from, you know, 150 to 250, then do that, right? If your practice is at a way, at a place of where you are surviving, then, you know, raise the fee. And if people say no, what did you lose? Uh, mm-hmm. So looking at it in that way is that people didn't say, you know, 250, so that's fine. But also recognizing that you can't negotiate up, but you could always negotiate down. Uh, mm-hmm. So that if mm-hmm. you, you know, say, oh, 175 and somebody could pay 250, you can't go back later and be like, oh, well, let's do 250 instead. Uh, that's going to be a harder thing. I think you'll have a difficult time kind of <laughs> moving them from that place. But if somebody's like, I can't pay 250, and then you're like, oh, well, I could pay, you know, you could pay 175. If you want to take that and that's above your 150, then hey, you got, you know, something that the person could pay and you've got a new client and you've also got it at a higher rate than where you are. Uh, so doing some of those things. And then as much as you can kind of educate yourself on kind of personal finance and just kind of the tenets of money and getting yourself set up. Like I said, I had a bunch of blogs that I used to be kind of following. So I think one was called like Blueprint for Financial Prosperity. And then just reading books. Susie Urban has some good books. Uh, I know people like kind of Dave Ramsey and some of his stuff and Snowball Effect to Paying Down Debt. But just kind of, you know, what in your comfort zone, what can you learn about money and how it works and try to educate yourself as much as possible. Uh, mm-hmm. If you don't already have an accountant, uh, accountants are usually really good about sharing information for free about how you can make more money because in turn it makes them more money. So it's a good business practice for them to educate you on how to be more successful and make more money because in the end, that will add more business to them. So if you make more money, your accountant's going to be very happy with that. So they will want you to move your business and practice in a way of doing that. So have as many conversations as you can with your accountant, for sure. Those are awesome takeaways and snapshots. And I guess if I were to summarize what you're talking about, it's, I'm not a a camp and hiker kind of person, but it's this idea of like, leave things better than you found them. You know, if like you go hiking, it's like, whatever you leave, take it out with you, leave it better than how you found it. And what you're talking about is educate yourself educate others in your field, get comfortable and confident doing some of this work and addressing your internal imposter syndrome when it comes to, to money, leave things better than you found it. Yeah. Awesome. So Sivan, as we kind of say goodbye, I know your practice is full, but but where can people find you and follow along with you? So my, my website is my name. I try to make it easy. So like if you Google Sivan Lewis, S-T-E-V-O-N, Lewis, then you, all my stuff comes up. Uh, that's my website, www.stevonlewis.com. 
On social media, I'm most active on Instagram, and that's at Stevon Lewis MFT, uh, like the letters Mary Francis Thomas. So that's where I'm usually kind of the most most active. Working on a digital course, hope to get that out soon, kind of before the end of the year. Hopefully I'm shooting for fall. We'll see where we get. Uh, it'll be on imposter syndrome. But yeah, you can find me on Instagram, follow me. And you know, I kind of try to respond to DMs as much as possible and, and put out good information and keep people abreast of what I'm doing. Awesome. Well, all of those links to connect with Steven will be in the show notes. Thank you so much again for your time. And I hope that some of your, your confidence and strength around money rubs off on some of the listeners today. <laughs> for sure. Thanks, Lindy. Of course. All right, let's hop right into the takeaways from my conversation with Stevan. So the first takeaway is leaving things better than you found him. You know, Stevan talked about how our field, the field of therapy, is really in need of a shakeup and has finally been taking steps toward addressing systemic things that impact us and our clients. And for him, leaving the field better than he found it means opting out of the things that don't work for him. He gave the example of insurance. You know, he doesn't really feel like taking a a 50% pay cut and examining why he does that and sharing with other therapists his reason behind that helps to really leave the field better than the one he stepped into. And we can all take small steps to leave things better than we'd inherited. So I encourage you to think about how can you leave things better than you found them, whether that's in your field whether that's in your personal finances, maybe you inherited this belief that money is bad or money is hard. How can you examine that to leave that that thought better than you inherited, right? So there are so many ways to interpret this, but that was the first takeaway I had in my chat with Simon. The second takeaway is addressing your imposter syndrome in changing the narrative. So Stevan obviously specializes in working with folks who have imposter syndrome and experience it. And he was talking about how he didn't necessarily connect the dots between imposter syndrome and not having an idea of what was happening financially, but we know that education and psychoeducation helps us to feel better about various things in our lives. So he shared how he's in a place now where he has a good handle on what's going on with his money. He feels good with what's coming in and what's going out, and he feels confident about how he's running his practice so he can take care of himself. So I encourage you to think about what are some of the things that maybe your inner imposter is telling you you can't do or you don't understand and how can you encourage that? How can you be gentle with that inner imposter to change that narrative, to really question how much of that is true, how much of that is not true and whether or not that inner imposter is helping you or harming you. And the third takeaway was finding inspiration from others, right? He shared that when he sees other people at conferences or at professional networking events that are doing fun and exciting things, instead of getting stuck in, oh, why can't I do that? They're so lucky. He says, that's awesome. I love seeing these folks level up and take risks and do things differently. I wonder if there are things that I can do to level up my own practice, to take steps towards moving toward what these other folks are doing. I love how he said, look, 
I didn't go into this field to be broke and struggle. And I think that is so important when we see other therapists who seemingly have it all together and have their practice figured out and maybe are doing things differently. Maybe you see a therapist you really admire who is doing a bunch of work getting on a bunch of different podcasts and really showing up in that way and providing psychoeducation in that way. And that feels really inspiring to you. Maybe you follow a therapist who is super active on their blog and they provide a ton of quality information. And that feels really cool. Steeman shared how he's, I can't remember if he said he was doing, thinking about doing a course or something self-paced for other people, but how can you find these things to inspire you instead of making you feel like you can't do enough? And therapist or not, we see this happen all the time. We see, you know, our neighbor come home with a nice car, or we hear about somebody else getting a promotion. And it's normal, right, for that green-eyed monster to kind of pop in and be like, ugh, why not me? But also, how can you use it as leverage to inspire you. And actually, as I'm saying all of this, I'm thinking I'm going to do a little maybe video for you all on on this idea that people who are doing well are our competition because they aren't. There's more than enough to go around. Like, you know, if you think about it in this way, if you're a therapist, you can follow along and I'll give another example if you're not a therapist. But If you're a therapist and you specialize in anxiety and another therapist comes to town who specializes in anxiety, I doubt that you're like, oh, shoot, well, I better close up shop. Here comes another anxiety therapist. No, you're like, oh, thank God I am overwhelmed. There are so many people with anxiety. Maybe you don't offer nights and weekends and this new person does, right? It's it's a gift to have other people who have similar training and background and offers Because there are so many people who need help. So another example for my non-therapist listeners is if you have a a friend or a cousin who, who makes a leap and goes into a totally different field, instead of being like, oh my gosh, I could never do that. I'm too old. I don't have enough education, whatever it may be. Ask them, hey, how did you take that leap from this field to that field? What did you do to get there? I'm so inspired by it. Even if it doesn't change your life trajectory, see if you can look at them with with compassion and curiosity instead of envy. So those are my three takeaways from my chat with Simon. Leave things better than you found them. Check in on your imposter syndrome and find inspiration from others. And again, if you are a private practice therapist in need of a little financial inspiration, check out my three-month group coaching program, Grow a Profitable Practice from the Inside Out. The waitlist is open and folks on my waitlist are going to get some extra special goodies should they choose to join me. Head to mine moneybalance.com slash profitable practice for all of the details. See you next week. Neither the host or guests are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, medical, or other professional information. If you want professional help, please seek it out.